Restaurant Unstoppable episode 1018 with Ryan Thorman. The more self-awareness, you just said self-awareness, I think is one of the largest skills, the most important skills you could have in any role whether it's a CEO or a server or a waiter, like it's just so important to understand how you're being perceived so then you can, you can tweak and you can get better. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your guest needs? Redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guests across the counter. Reachify is powerful and flexible. For example, with advanced automation and caller deflection, Reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverts callers to online actions. Reachify also simplifies workflows for your team, enabling them to operate more efficiently to attract, retain, and engage callers effectively. Reachify, be in control of the conversation you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp Restaurant owners and operators, you can make a difference in the lives of your staff and their families by supporting CORE, which stands for Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE is a national nonprofit that provides financial grants to food and beverage service employees with children when either the employee, their child, or their partner faces a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Not only can you share CORE as a benefit in resource with your staff, you can also donate directly or host a fundraising promotion. Core critically needs your financial support to continue to provide relief to restaurant employees that qualify for a grant when life does not go as planned. Support of Core allows you to give back to your employees and restaurant families across the country. Visit coregives.com org to learn more together we can make a difference in the lives of those who serve us daily with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest ceo of bango bowls ryan thorman my man ryan are you feeling unstoppable today completely unstoppable yeah man and i just had 
James on the show. He's the CEO of Upstream Hospitality yep. Group, who is the, the CEO of the holding company that you're a part of. And he had amazing things to say about you and Bango Bulls. But I think we're going to go a little bit deeper 100%. today. Plus, I'm really excited just to get into your story because you did not take a traditional path to get here. No, I've been around. <laughs> yeah, you tried all different <laughs> sorts of things. So I can't wait to dive into it. But let's get that motivational and inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Ooh, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Dive into that one. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes to your employees, to your customers. It's literally everything you do. The more willing and able you are to take feedback, the better and more specific you can get to improving your product or your your service or whatever it is. Why do you think that is? I think it's, you know, you have to be open because, you know, we talked about it a little before is your ability to understand different opinions or different ways of looking at things will make you smarter and make you understand more people, right? Like right. as a CEO, you, your goal is to motivate people. So the more people you can understand and see their points of view, I think the better off you're going to be as a leader. You're not going to connect the same way with every person, right? So the more open you are to figuring that out and you do that by feedback, right? right? You so, only know what you know. Right. Feedback. So when you say feedback, are you thinking like personal feedback or just general feedback? All feedback. All feedback. Personal feedback customer feedback, employee feedback, literally any anybody who will give you their opinion on, on the way they're perceiving what you're saying. Yeah, that's the first time this, this quote, breakfast of champions is feedback. Is that what it is? Or is, how, how do you say it? <clears throat> feedback is the breakfast of champions. Yeah, dude. And when I hear that, I, I think of just emotional intelligence being the peak, yeah. uh, or sorry, self-awareness being the peak of emotional intelligence. No doubt. And how do you become self-aware? I mean, you can do it on your own. Yep. That's one yep. way of just yep. being uh, aware of what how people act around you. Yep. But if you literally open up a floodgate to your face of just feedback, how much better is that? Yeah. I mean, you I know? couldn't agree more. I just think the more uh, self-awareness, like you, you just said self-awareness, yeah. I think is one of the largest skills, the most important skills you could have in any role, whether it's a CEO or a server or a waiter like it's just so important to understand how you're being perceived so then you can you can tweak and you can get better right and this episode as, as far as i'm aware is scheduled to go live august 17th nice four days before a live workshop that we're hosting with the author of what is it costing you not to listen so i just want to Give our listeners, you're missing out on an opportunity <laughs> to learn how to get feedback. Yeah. To, she's going to give us like a step-by-step process to do that. So if you're listening to this within days of it going live, please RSVP to that workshop because we're like feedback is so important. No doubt. And getting it and getting the tools to know how to get it is even more important. So awesome way to get this thing started. And where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Because like I mentioned in the intro, you have a very convoluted, not direct path yeah. into the hospitality industry. Yeah, well, you started in the hospitality, though, didn't I you? I started, yeah. Like, yeah. I grew up in the hospitality business. As a kid, I always worked. You know, I was a dishwasher when I was 14 years old. Um, you know, we could start there, I guess. I'll, I'll fast forward from yeah. 14 to 22, I guess, when I get out of school. Yeah, give but, me, the, like, the fast forward yeah. version. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, grew up in the hospitality business, worked as a dishwasher, got promoted to a busboy, didn't really want to be uh, a busboy because I really wasn't loving talking to people, so they put me back in the dish pit. Um, you know, but as I continued to grow and stayed, stayed in the hospitality business, server, bartender, literally did it all. Um, went to school, played, played sports in college. So I was big into, big into all sports. I played soccer, but I was, you know, the collegiate D1 athlete. 
Um, I would have guessed rugby. Yeah, I'm, I'm built a little bit bigger for a soccer player. Most people ask if I'm the goalie, um, but uh, I wasn't. I was a center back. I uh, put on a few pounds since then, for sure. Um, but right out of school, uh, I interned for Madison Square Garden uh, while I was still in school in a sponsorship role. What was um, the degree you went to school for? I went for business management, oh, yeah. um, but I always was around sports, right? I had a personal connection who worked in Madison Square Garden. They got me an internship. I had a few more months left of school after that internship. So before I went back to school, they offered me a permanent job when I, when I came back. Um, so I took that right away. So I worked in sports for a while, maybe five, six years. Um, do you remember what you wanted to do? Was there that younger version of yourself straight out of college, still wet behind the ears? Did you have a vision, a dream for yourself? Honestly, no clue. Like yeah. I always had entrepreneur itch, but like I wasn't a true entrepreneur, right? Like I needed structure. I needed that that foundation yeah. to really. A friend to hand you a company and say, here, become the CEO of this. Yeah. Take the leap. You got it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I needed to grow, grow to that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have it as a young kid, right? So. For me, the best way to start was to be in a structure, be in a larger company, learn process systems, scale. And that's kind of where I started at, you know, in sports because I love sports. So it was like uh, natural for me to be working in sports. Um, As I got a little bit older, I started to really understand that, like, if you're going to work in professional sports, there's only so many teams in every city. Right. So if you're going to keep climbing that ladder, there's a lot of movement that kind of has to take place. And I I've been with my wife since I was 15 years old. Uh, I didn't really, she didn't want to move. She's very tight with her family. I'm close to my family. So we were like, I think I need to make a transition. Um, And at that point, somebody introduced me uh, to somebody in tech in the marketing side of the world. Uh, I worked for a a small B2B advertising company called Bizzo, where we were only 100 people there. Um, Quickly, after I was there, I'd say I was there for less than a year, and LinkedIn acquired Bizzo. So now I went from like being in sports, learning a new industry in tech, to now working for one of the biggest social platforms in the country, you know, which is like a totally different thing for me. Like wild. Right. You know, and that's like, what I was so this is what I have in front of me, just to give the <laughs> listeners an idea when I was doing my research. So graduate from Lander University, you went to school for marketing, was it? Yeah, business you know, business marketing. management. That was two thousand seven. Yeah. Two thousand seven Madison Square Gardens partnership coordinator, two thousand nine Jets accountant executive, two thousand eleven yep. Legends Hospitality corporate account executive. This is where I started thinking, oh, this is when he starts diverging towards hospitality. Nope. (laughs) Data uh, monitor director in biz dev. That was 2013 for about eight months. And then biz uh, Bizzo account executive, which yep. got acquired by LinkedIn 2014. And then you were there for two years before joining forces with Bango Bulls. Yep. So I was like, how? <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I know. Wild. I love it. But apparently, I mean, you said that you, there was a lot of growth, right? Tons of growth. So where in you? Where do you think, did you skip over all that other stuff because there wasn't much growth there in your opinion? Yeah, I think when I was at, you know, I was working in sports, it was a lot of the same thing. It was a heavy grind. You know, I was day-to-day sales like i started in sponsorships and then i moved over to ticket sales you know so i was making 100 200 phone calls a day so it was wow. like a grind you know like anyone who's ever been in a real sales job where you have to bang phones like you got to come to work like ready every day There's, like you literally can't take a day off because you got to be in a great mood to bang 200 phone calls in a day yeah right so like after x amount of years that just wears on you you know and I'm like i'm not 
I'm not lazy, right? Like, you know, but like that just, this burns. was at Bizzo that you're doing. No, no, this is, I'm sorry. This is when I was, I was at the Jets. Oh, when I'm just okay, pounding gotcha, phones gotcha, gotcha. 100%. percent so that was where it was starting to wear on me, and that's why I was like, I think I need to move out of sports. Got right? It. I didn't want to move to another city to be on to work for another team somewhere else across the country. And I was like, I you know I don't know how much I could do, how much more I want to do this anymore. Yeah, that, I feel it, that the day to day grind overtook the love of sports, right? And then yeah. as soon as I lost that love of working in sports, that's when I was like, I really need to do something different, where a little bit more strategy. You end up hating the thing you love, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, are you still a Jets fan today, or did you? I'm like, actually, ruin it for you? I'm a Giant season ticket holder. Oh, I wasn't okay. allowed to tell anyone at the time, but uh, <laughs> funny. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, you did a, about a, two years with Legends Hospitality Corporate? Yep. Yeah. So it was a similar type of role. Uh, we worked on projects. So Legends is actually owned. Uh, it's the same seating company that does Yankee Stadium, same as the Cowboy Stadium. Um, they have two different sides of their business. They have a, a ticketing side of their business, and they have a hospitality side of their business. Oh, cool. So I worked more on the ticketing side of the business. So we uh, Legends was hired for a project for Red Bull Arena. In actually in New Jersey for the soccer team, um, so I got put on that project and I worked in Red Bull Arena as a, a sales rep for Red Bull, but I was actually a Legends employee. Okay, got yeah. it. Um, what exactly was it that you were selling? Uh, tickets and sponsorships. So, so what do you, by sponsorship like people to come sponsor like the stadium? Hundred <clears throat> percent. See the name on the board. See the got name it. above the the naming rights to the stadium. All that type of stuff. And that was all cold calls. Yeah, a lot of cold calls. Maybe you could teach me something about selling. That <laughs> I think I, I think I lost all the ability. <laughs> I completely put it out of my mind. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, I can see how that grinds. I'll be honest, and like no disrespect to my current sponsors. Like I love my sponsors. Yeah. Super grateful for them. It's the part of my job I like the least. Yeah. It's hard just to go sell yourself, man. 100%. Um, and I don't think, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just like, oh, can I just do what I do? Do I have to, like, prove myself to people and try to get an ROI on yeah. them? Yeah. It just it muddies the water for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you got to open the doors. Like, I get it. I see the benefit of it. And I'm sure you do too, right? Yeah. Like, Oh, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't 100%. for my sponsors. That's, I mean, I get it. Like, I'm yeah. grateful for my sponsors. Yeah. I just wish that they would line up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but that's what that's all about. You know, we talked about that self awareness. Like yeah. that's where that comes in, right? Like you got to be able to take those hundred no's before yeah. you get the one yes. Exactly. And if you don't learn from those hundred no's, then you know you're not going to get to the yes. Yes, you know? so you have to go through that stuff for sure. So you move on from Legends in 2013. That's you found yourself a data um, monitor. Yep. Is this when you start saying like I need to make a shift in my life? That was like my quick jump. I was like I have to get out of sports, and I took you know I took that next role, and that job was not good. I was like, oh my god, I'm. That was like my midlife crisis. I was only twenty seven, <laughs> twenty seven at that point, but I was literally like walking down the streets of Manhattan. I walked into a Barnes and Noble, I think, and bought an LSAT book because I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. I don't know, you know. So I was like, I literally didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was frustrated. I was bent out of shape, and I was like, I was legit like lost at that time. Well, this is around the time as young men, we start to become much more self-aware. Yeah. They say your frontal lobe finishes rounding off around the yeah, age yeah. of 27 years old, late yeah. 20s. Were you more self-aware? What, at this point, what would you say your strengths and weaknesses were? Where were you strong? Uh, you know, I've always been confident. So I've always like, 
sometimes overconfident, right? Like where I want to get to the next stage too soon, too fast. I'm like, I shouldn't still be here, right? So I didn't have that patience that sometimes yeah. you learn some key things in, in that timeline. And if you just want to force and, and rush everything, sometimes you miss a lot of those key learnings. And that's kind of where I was, you know, it's like, I'm better than this. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I want to be making more money. I want to be happy, you know, with my work every day. And I just wasn't there. What were the key learnings you missed? I don't know. You know, I was like head down, like too far, too far ahead of myself running, yeah. you know, and without direction. I think yeah. that's the part. I just had a conversation with Ed Doherty about this. I'm yeah. recent guest on the show. Okay. And, he, and he was saying the biggest, one of the biggest challenges with this generation, and he's an older, I should say he's an older guy yep. talking about uh, like the new, the Gen Z that's coming yep. up. Um, there's this false prophecy of work-life balance. Totally. And he's like, you have to sacrifice. You have to yep. have, be patient. You have to do things for years. Yeah. 10,000 hours, right? Yep. Um, who was that? Malcolm Gladwell. Um, yep. Outliers. Yep. Uh, before you start to, you know, you can get that that uh, flyway or the flywheel that builds momentum. And then only once you've built that momentum, but that takes that time, that pressure. Uh, do you think that that's a safe saying that people today aren't patient and they just want, is it, is it the world we live in where everything's so instant maybe? I do believe that. I think everyone is just so used to instant satisfaction, like yeah. instant reaction, instant analysis, instant next step, right? So like yeah. once you have to wait, you don't realize like, hey, if I would have waited a little bit longer here, maybe I would have learned something. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm not waiting. I'm moving on. Right. And like work-life balance, like you, if you're, <clears throat> if you're going to work as much as somebody like me or somebody like you, like you have to blend the two. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not so cookie cutter, easy, you know, like this is my work life. This is my personal life. Like there's a blend. Like I like to call it your life's work. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. But if you, if you choose something that you can show up to yeah. every day, who doesn't, that doesn't soul the suck, that yeah. doesn't suck the soul out of you, but actually fills your soul. hundred percent. You know, I think it's just hard to find that thing. So hard. Uh, they call it self-actualizing, right? With mm-hmm. talking to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you find your purpose. Yeah. And when you find your purpose and you like it and you're recognized for it, yeah. like it, it, it energizes you. Absolutely. And I think everyone's a little different as well. Like yeah. for me, like I have a family, right? I have three kids under five years old right now. So during the week, I try to work as much as I possibly can, <laughs> right? So I work when I get up in the morning, I come home, I have dinner with my family and put my kids to bed and then I go back to work, right? Because my kids are sleeping. I'm not wasting Did you say you time. get up and you go home? No, I get up. Oh, I go to work. I was like, <laughs> no, not that quick. Right. I get up. I go to work. I come home, have dinner with my family, put the kids to bed, and then back to work. Whether it's on a laptop or I'm going somewhere, but I do that all during the weekday. So then weekends when my kids are home and hanging out, I try to spend as much time as I can yeah. on during that time. So like, yeah. I have to. You have to blend that work life balance. You got to figure out how your schedule works, your family schedule, and how you can still be productive. Right. And I think this is where relativity comes in. And I yeah. think the issue with the restaurant industry is relative to everyone else that's working in the restaurant industry. We're all such hard workers yep. that working seven days a week became normal. Totally. You know, so we collectively as an industry relative to ourselves, we're so unhealthy yep. because we were just comparing ourselves to each other. But we also painted ourselves into this corner because mm-hmm. collectively as an industry, we chose to focus on outworking each other than being smart with how we work. 100%. You know, now we're getting smart 
but there's still people that are willing to work 90 plus hours a week. Yeah. And it's like, will you cut the shit? Yeah. <laughs> like, can we all just collectively yeah. say like, let's dial it back a little bit. Well, um, I think that's the hardest transition to make is when you go from doing everything yourself to starting to learn to work smarter. Mm-hmm. So like, you just want to naturally just want to muscle through it. Like I could just keep working. Right. But then I don't have to think as much. I don't have to strategize. Like I'm just going to keep working, keep working, keep working. Cause then I'm feeling productive because I'm actually doing something. Yeah. When in reality you need to take a step back and it's like, okay, how can I build a strategy? How can I actually plan and incorporate my team to help me accomplish this? Cause the group as a, as a whole is going to be a lot more efficient and faster than me trying to do this all by myself. Right. Right. So back to your timeline, 2013, you're not finding this work that fills your soul. Not you're, you're kind of just trying to keep the wheel right spinning while you figure out what, what Ryan's meant for. Yeah. Um, what was that like? How did that feel? Uh, it's not a good feeling, you yeah. know, cause you, you, I wouldn't say I was lost, but you feel that at times, mm. you know, you're like, you, you're trying to find that purpose. This is before kids, right? I, I was married at the time, but like before kids, so you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And for me, like I've always been a, a guy who's set goals for myself and wanted to get to certain levels of my career. And I'm like, now I'm 27. I feel like I'm starting over because I just left what I've been doing for the past five years. Like now I have to start from scratch again. What did that I'm feel like? Frustrating. Yeah. You know, super frustrating. I don't want to start this again. Like I already invested five years. I thought I was on my way to being, you know, a top sports executive and you know, that didn't happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it was like, I had to start over, but like, that's, I think a key lesson is like, I don't care how old you are. Like if you're not happy in what you're doing, start over. Yeah. Was there a dark time for you during this period or were you just kind of like instantly just like, you know what? This sucks, but like just get after it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not the type of person who's like, you know, doom and gloom. I don't, I wouldn't call it a dark time. Yeah. Any anxiety attacks? No. Anxiety came <laughs> much later in life. <laughs> now I, mean, I have more anxiety. I went through something similar yeah. and like you're bringing back my anxiety. Yeah. I did have anxiety yeah. attacks. I was also $200,000 in debt yeah. when I, at the age of 27, resigned from aviation and went back to school for marketing and hospitality. Yeah. Like I know what you're talking yeah. about. It's when you put so much time and effort into a path and you feel like at the age of 27, you're so old and like, how are you going to make a change this, you know, like invest money, time. hundred percent. I totally get I me. Mean, I think that's, a, I mean, that's what people, have, that's what people have take out of it. Like if you're, that's like, if you're not happy, I don't care if you're 60, 25, 35, stop doing what you're it. doing. Cause you're only going to waste more time. You only get one life. Just yeah. change it. Yeah. Good figure it you. out. Yeah. Your back's against the wall. You're going to figure it out anyway. So I love that. So you decide to just pivot away from the sports. You take a for now job at data monitor and then you weren't there long, eight months. No. Then you go to Bizzo account. Yep. Um, sorry, Bizzo, which you are account executive. Was that more on the path of what you thought you wanted to do or is it just better than what you were doing? It was just better than what I was doing. Okay. You know, I knew somebody who worked there. I hadn't worked in tech before. Um, I was always a seller, right? I could sell. Um, so that I knew that was like my my best path. What makes you a good seller? Self-awareness. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I always joke that I could I can go talk to the construction worker and sell him something. And then I can go talk to the CEO of Google and have a conversation with him and sell him something. So like that self-awareness and knowing your audience was always one of my better being skills. Being able to adapt to your Being audience. able to adapt yeah. 100%. So yeah. knowing that you're messaging. And it's the same thing in like marketing today. You have yeah. to cater your messaging to whoever you're speaking to. So like that works in sales. It works in all aspects of life. Right. Um, how is that how you think it most serves you today is, is the marketing is that are you a big part of the marketing effort here at bingo Bulls? yeah absolutely um i mean that's like where my passion went when i went to bizzo that was the first like true marketing company that i worked 
you know, worked for that was, it was a tech marketing company. We did B2B display ads, right? Like not super sexy, but it started to shine a light on how technology is playing its way into marketing. You know, this is before AI, before all this stuff. This, and this was a company that was doing something pretty revolutionary at the time, so much so that LinkedIn acquired them, right? It was a very small tech marketing company. Um, so that was like my first like eye opener. I was like, oh, this is actually really cool. Like this is legit strategy and thought process behind how we market. And that's what kind of started to get me excited. So how do you think you this experience most influenced who you are today? I think it just put me on a on another trajectory, right? Yeah. Like I just wasn't happy. I changed things. And then going to Bizzo, which eventually led to LinkedIn, like that just sped up my career a lot from a mentality standpoint. Like I learned so much in that time period. I wasn't miserable anymore. I was open. When you're not miserable, you're a lot more open to learning. Right. Right. right? So that like just really sp- sped things up as far as how I learned. Quality of life better? Way better. As far you as know? payment and all that 100%. stuff? 100%. Yeah. You know, it's like money matters, you know, like to a, to a point it, it matters when you're at that point. Yeah. When you're making X and you're like living in Manhattan and you could barely afford rent. Like that's where it's like, okay, I just need a little bit more money to give myself like a reprieve that I don't have to like, steal someone's cup of noodles i've heard yeah. the sweet spot the sweet spot depending on where you live yeah. obviously it's it's relative to where you live is between 70 and a hundred thousand a year yeah and that thirty thousand dollar range um if you can get to that point and you live a modest lifestyle we we're talking to james before this and he mentioned just that not living like under i can't remember the term he used but basically choosing to live below your means below your means yeah yeah, yeah. i think that is a sweet spot like it's it's one thing to go from 30 to 60, right? Like, okay, now it's getting a little bit more comfortable. But once you're at that 100 mark, like you said, like you don't need to go live like you make 500 because yeah. you're not, there's not a lot of extra stuff. That new that car need. is only going to make you happy the, the drive home from the parking lot. 100%. After 100%. that, it's just another way to get to the job you hate. Yeah. So you just got to find, <laughs> find that sweet spot. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're working for LinkedIn. Um, Bizzo gets acquired by LinkedIn. Uh, what were you doing for LinkedIn? Did your job change or were you just work, getting a different paycheck? Same role. Same yep. role. Uh, LinkedIn acquired Bizzo. We just moved over into their marketing department. They acquired Bizzo for a certain piece of technology. Um, it was a B2B marketing platform. Obviously, LinkedIn's a massive B2B yeah. social platform. Uh, it was our ability to retarget. I'm not sure if you're familiar a with retargeting. Bit. So if you land on a website, you get geotags, and then that follows 100%. you. 100%. Yeah. But it was able to do, it was called multi-nurture, uh, multi-nurture platform. So not only did it know where you came on the website and knew how much time you spent on certain pages, what you were looking at. So you could segment yes, further. Exactly. Which is way more normal. And you know, that's like a normal thing today, yeah. but at this stage, like 2015? nobody 15. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was doing that. I remember recording content. Like that was like the, like the groundbreaking stuff. hundred percent. Six years ago. hundred percent. So nobody was doing that. So that was like totally next level. Yeah. Like I knew you hit this landing page. I knew you spent five minutes on there. I knew you got to the shopping cart. Like that tells me that person is super down the funnel, right? I'm going to send them a really high friction offer. I'm not going to just say, Hey, thanks for coming. I'm going to say, Hey, here's that product. Do you want to buy it? Right. So if what we're talking about, if you're listening to this, like if you remember during like 2016, 17 period, all of a sudden you would go to a website, you'd be looking at a brand new set of clubs, and then you'd go to another website like weather.com and holy shit, there are those clubs I was just looking at. The universe is speaking to me. They're telling me I must buy these clubs. These clubs. What are the odds? It's such a coincidence. (laughs) 
now we know that that's not the case, that we're literally everything we do on the internet is being tracked and that data is where they're making their money. Exactly. You are the product, people. Figure it out already. It's disgusting. Once you start <laughs> going down these rabbit holes and you figure out how marketing works, you yeah. just want to like wipe your hands. Yeah. It's all data driven. Um, yeah, man. Uh, anyway, I digress. Um, so what what's going on? How do you go from that to all of a sudden bango bulls? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So you... You, uh, I know you just had James on yeah. from Upstream. Me and James have been friends for 30 years. Uh, we grew up together. Like I'm only 37 now. Like Literally known him almost my entire life. Yeah. Um, been best friends for a really long time. So I'm watching him grow tap room to start with. Right At this point, they have two tap rooms. And I'm like, I'm making good money now, but I want to make more. I have this 9 to 5 job. Like, What else can I do to get to the next level? Okay, here's a little side hustle that I think we could try. I'm seeing this in the city. Nobody's really executing well. Nobody's making an acai bowl the way I think it should be made. Uh, hey, James, you know, sitting there having beers, like, just shooting the shit. It's like, hey, we should open one of these in the city. He's like, I want nothing to do with Manhattan. I'm like, okay. Um, but then the more and more we talk about it, it's like, oh, I actually have this little storefront next to one of our tap rooms. Maybe we should try opening it there. So that's how, like, the initial conversation started. Is that the second location? First location. Our first location is... Bengal Bowl's Massapequa But that Park. was the Taproom second location. Yes, I'm sorry. Taproom yeah, yeah, yeah. second location. Correct. Okay. So you were the, pre- the, 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 the spark. Yes. Okay. I was the one who was like, hey, we should, we should start to look at this. And then, you Asahi know. Asahi Bowls, generally speaking. Correct. So nobody, what was it about Nobody's Asahi really Bowls? doing it. You know, like there was one other guy in Long Island who was doing it. And I think they did a pretty good job. But I was like, they, they're not doing a good job branding. Yeah. I was like, we can brand this way better. We could build a, a whole company and a business and a brand around this. What else was appealing to you about the idea of, of just focusing on Asahi? And at the time, it was just Asahi Bowls, right? Yeah, at the you, time, it was just that. I yeah. mean, the simplicity, you know? It's no, nothing goes bad, you know, fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless, every, unless the freezer breaks. Yeah, 100%. Which is, is possible. Very simple. Get that know? insurance. <laughs> 100%. And especially from James' side of view, you know, he's used to run in full service restaurants so it's like totally different different business yeah and the startup cost is very low it's That's like the other you know one. yeah we, we, we could try this and see you are that. kathleen wood's dream come true because <laughs> exactly. she loves focusing and putting all of your energy into doing a few things really well 100 percent. yeah um so you have this idea that there's a huge gap in the market in new york city for asahi bowls which in 2016 17 is really starting to gain traction in the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was like the beginning of it. You know, like there was one guy on Long Island doing it and that's why I was like, we could do this so we could do it better than they're doing it. Yeah. Um, So it just, opportunity was there. So that space that was vacant, it was like what, 400, 300 square feet? Yeah, so small, like a closet. What was there there before? There was like a little uh, hardware computer store, like literally selling like desktops (laughs) (laughs) out of it. You know, so it was an older guy. He was probably like, 65 70 years old definitely was like just waiting for somebody to say hey somebody give me 10 grand they get out of my space so that's that's exactly what we did he left and that was that was all good oh man that's crazy um i think now's actually a really good time to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about how you the process for starting this 
This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Are you overwhelmed by phone calls during a peak mealtime hours? Why let the phone ring when Reachify can direct callers to online ordering, reservations, catering, and so much more. Instead of losing business, automatically turn calls into orders. Infuse your phone with smart technology that can save you time and money and increase revenue for your restaurant. And while Reachify is paying for itself, you can allow your employees to focus on other tasks instead of taking orders and answering facts that are easily found online. Driving digital sales should be a priority as it's been shown to lead to stronger loyalty and higher ticket averages. Not to mention you're getting that precious customer data that you can market to. Reachify, be in control of the conversations you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. Again, that's reachify.io slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And, um, you kind of laid it out for us. Like you're, you're searching for your purpose in life, right? I'm curious why the restaurant industry, why would that give you what you felt like you were missing? There's so many different directions you could have gone to, to find what you were looking for to make yep. more money. Yep. Why did you think your, your answer was in restaurants? Two things. One being food. Like I am genuinely a food lover. Like I think about food all day, every day. Yeah. Like my wife makes fun of me cause she, she doesn't love food like I do. And I'm like, how do you not love food? I'll talk about it every conversation. Like if I'm sitting on the beach, I want to talk about sandwiches. Like yeah. I just, you know. You're around I'm, me and my dad right now. It's like he won't even finish breakfast. And he's like, what's for dinner? Uh, that's exactly <laughs> how I am. Like I literally would start talking about the next meal while I'm eating my current meal. Can we get through breakfast no, first, dad? <laughs> no, because I love it. So food was a, was a big part of it. Yeah. You know, it was like if I had to say I'm like passionate about anything, like I'm, I'm passionate about food. Um, the other thing was the business side of it, right? So you you gravitate towards your network or your friends, right? Like I have friends that are in the hospitality business. Most of my friends are in the hospitality business. Like it's funny, like we go away on a bachelor party, right? There's 15 of us. 10 of us are, are bar restaurant owners, yeah. right? Like it's just who we hang out with. You That's who we grew up friends, with. man. We know how to have the most fun. Yep, exactly. Um, <laughs> so were, you any, were there concerns about going to work with friends? Everyone always asks that question, and I think you just have to have the right friends, mm. right? Like we talked. I was about, totally baiting you, and I 100% agree. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I totally agree. Like I couldn't do it with all my friends, um, and I don't recommend people do it with all their friends. But our friendship is an open and honest friendship. You know, it's like if you're doing something and I don't like it, I'm going to tell you. We're going to yeah. have a conversation about it, and then we're just going to get over it. Right. Same goes the other way. If I'm doing something, just talk to me. Let's let's be self-aware, yeah. and let's get that feedback, right? And let's let's move in the right direction. And we won't agree all the time. I know some people who say you need to be friends. <clears throat> um, I don't know. Like I, I would prefer to be friends with the people I yeah. go into business with because – there's a reason why I'm friends with you. It's because I know, like, and trust you. hundred you know? percent. You and definitely I, have to like somebody. Yeah. You know? And I'm pretty, I'm pretty particular about the friends I like to keep, you know? So if I'm going into business, I want somebody I know I can lean on and trust and somebody I know, I just know generally. So I don't have to learn your, your character flaws in, you know, your, your, the, the benefits of your character as well. But 100%. like, I know going into it and something about family too. Like, I feel like it's harder to walk away. 
Yeah. You know, and at the, when things get tough, you don't you want something to keep you. You yeah. don't want to let people down. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's it's the personality traits you have. Like you have to have that ability to not hold on to something. Like that's who I am. Like I always joked i love breaking chops right like i love sitting in a circle full of guys and everyone just teasing each other making fun of each other that to me is like the best use of time yeah. you see how witty people are you see how quick they are and it's it's genuinely funny right yeah. so like you can't say anything that's going to hurt my feelings that my friend hasn't already made fun of me for at some point in my life like right. i'm cool with it right so like even if it is something towards business like you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like I genuinely will take all feedback. I may not agree and do everything you say. You take you. It's time for breakfast. Yes, hundred <laughs> <laughs> uh, percent. I love that man. So, um, yeah, I one hundred percent agree. I think your your odds of success are better if you go into friends and family. The, the trick is don't have shitty friends. Yeah, you can't choose your family. That is a fact. Choose right. you have. Everyone knows all oh, your friends. I'm like, yeah, I can't do it with every friend, but this this group of friends right. with, I can do it with. Right. So, um, so you convinced James. You call him Jamie. I call him Jamie. Yeah. I call him James. You call him most now that he's getting I'm more professional. He goes yet. by James. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was talking to James, and um, I mean, when you were talking to James, how did you convince him? Like, because it didn't sound like he was sold on it right away. No, I think he was like, uh, you know, I don't know that this is the route I want to go. But the more we talked about it, we talked about that simplicity thing and that that low startup cost were like two of the really big big keys. Because that, at that time, he and uh, Dave from the tap room, they were the operators, right? So like, I was just the guy who came up with the name and did some back end marketing, did some admin stuff while I still worked in the city. Like I still had a full time job at LinkedIn, you know. So like, I wasn't going to deal with all the heartaches and the trouble that comes with day-to-day operations. So like really had to convince him to, to get to do it, you know, to be like, okay, let's do it. It's going to be my problem really. Cause at that point they had just two tap rooms. It was like, you know, we could, we could do this on top of it. Um, you know, which we'll talk about the next, the next stage a little bit down the line. But like at that point it wasn't too much of a burden to handle. Well, my thought if I'm, if I'm James is like, this is very off brand for what we do. We're a tap room. Yeah. You know, like we serve beer, not, not stuff that makes you healthier. Yeah. You know, and I think that when you think of Asahi bowls, you're thinking very health focused. Yeah. It's, it's a health food. Yeah. I think the one thing about, about Jamie is that, he is a serial entrepreneur. Like people talk about like, were you always an entrepreneur? Like I always had like a little bit of an itch, but I wouldn't say I was always an entrepreneur. Like Jamie is always an entrepreneur. He was selling Excel phone plans in high school. Like (laughs) he's the biggest entrepreneur I know. So he, at that point, like it was a new opportunity, a new business. It kind of got his wheels turning, started thinking about it. So it was like, okay, I, I want to, now that I've brought this challenge to him, he's like, I can do it. He's going to see low risk, high potential return. Yes. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, so you convinced him to do this. What was the first step? Find a place, right? Find a place. You had the place, we, didn't you? Yeah, we got the place. Well, first you got to say yes. And then we went and looked for the place. Uh, we had to come up with a name and a plan. So the place was right next door, the first location, right? Correct. Right, from his second tap room. Correct. What's, what's, what's the name of the town that's in? Massapequa Park. Massapequa Park. Yep. Where is that relative to here? Like 30 miles away? Uh, no, less minutes? than that. Maybe 15 miles, 20 miles it's on the South Shore. But like 30 minutes, right? Yeah, about 30 minutes. Yeah, that's what he, I remember him saying. 30 yep. stuck out. Um, so what was it about that area that you think made this Asahi Bowl location a hit out of the gates? Yeah, I mean, it's a great neighborhood area. Um, it actually doesn't have like a lot of the things we look for now, like 
only has a small street parking, you know, really obviously a really small space. We can't fit half the stuff we do now, but the, it's a really good community. Good foot traffic. Yeah, good foot traffic, a lot of walk-ups, um, and, like, all the community comes to all the places on this one little strip. It's like a little downtown area, right? So, like, all the people who are coming into Tap Room for a burger and a beer, the next morning are coming to get an acai bowl yeah. uh, at Bangle Bowls. So, Got it. Uh, it was definitely a great spot. Like, still is a great spot. Got it. So, what was what were the first couple of weeks like? Crazy. That's when we were like, all right, we got to we, we got to light this thing up. Uh, <laughs> what we, is crazy? Give me an example. Can you share some? Numbers? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you numbers. Uh, we opened. It was I think January first of two thousand seventeen. Uh, there were six inches of snow on the ground, and we were doing six thousand dollars a day at a three hundred and fifty square feet. Holy shit! How many transactions is that? A lot. That's a lot. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I could do the math in my head, but <laughs> at twelve, you and know, how'd at ten dollars. Did you just put a sign that said Asahi Bulls? Yeah, because nobody's really doing it. You know, yeah. and people are coming in like, "Oh, I've been driving thirty miles, you know, every day to get this." Like, what? It was like because there's only one other person on Long Island doing it. I needed to get my Instagram shot. A hundred percent, hundred percent, and that's like when that stuff like just started to get big. You oh, know, yeah. um, so yeah, it just it just kind of took off, and then yeah. we were like, okay, people are going to know about this. Like, we got to be pretty fast. Like, let's. Let's open some more. Yeah. <laughs> so how long did it take? So you're at seven locations today. Yeah. It was only eight months that you went from, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it eight months that you went from one Bango Bulls to two Bango Bulls? Yeah, it's just about that. I think it was January to August we got the second one open. So what happened in that eight-month period to get you, like, what, what did you tell yourself you had to do before opening location number two? We had to find second-generation restaurants. That was, like, a key, the real estate piece of it. It's like, you know, it, here on Long Island, building out restaurants from a health and permit standpoint and uh, a grease trap, you know, if you have to put a, it's not like one of the undercounter grease traps. You got to right. like dig up the whole sewer system and 70,000 bucks to put a grease trap in. Right. Right. Which we were still pretty young at this time. Like we you needed a grease trap for bingo bills. hundred percent. Really? Yeah. You had to for in the event that you are a food space and then the next food space does cook. Like you have to be the first one to put the grease trap in. So super frustrating, but we were like, all right, we got to find a second generation restaurant that we can like do a quick flip on, right? That's only going to cost us a hundred grand opposed to building a full service restaurant cost you 2 million bucks. Right. Right. Um, I am curious before we start talking about location number two. So you said you did $6,000 in revenue the first day, January or something. Um, Was it like that every day or did it go, did it go up? No, I mean, it continued for a few months. Um, you know, we were getting disbursement checks, like literally in like the first two weeks of business. And I was like, this can't be right. Um, it was just really gangbusters. And that was in winter, you know, which the, the business, the business at that point was so disbursement with, to your investors. No, it's us. Like oh. we put all the money up ourselves. So we were already getting like checks back, which, you know, usually first year of business, you're not going to get a check back right away, a profit check back right away. So you start working with a CFO instantly. Then. Yeah. Okay. Um, most people don't even, aren't even that far ahead. They're just like, let's just open and start making money. And yeah, you know, I mean, we're getting cash, <laughs> putting it in our pocket every night. Yeah. Uh, and then you're like, where's the money for taxes? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, We've been there a few times too. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious like, 6000 a day, um, you probably don't need that many people. Definitely don't mean skilled people because you're really just scooping. Yeah. There's no like technical. No, I mean, all high school, college kids, you know, Definitely not skilled labor. We have no line chefs, no cooks. So how many employees would you have? Right I mean, at that point, we probably had somewhere between like six and eight. Okay. But you're yep. doing volume. so you Volume. Yeah. So um, can you serve like six, eight people at a time? Like, how, like, is it just one 
one station, one setup. You know, so like max people you could have working together is like maybe two to four. What's a ticket time or something like that? Two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but like one of our key differentiators uh, is how we prepare our acai and how fast it, it can get out. So is that a proprietary? Yeah. Okay, so the, the process, nobody else can prepare their acai like this. They can figure it out, but... You, you can't tell us. That. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can share with what? this audience. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, because like I think the most expensive thing for you is probably cost of goods, because I know acai isn't cheap, especially yeah. over the past six years, because there's a spike in demand, yep, right? 100%. So that's probably your biggest operational expense, I'm assuming. No, I mean, cost. we've gotten Rent, it, we've gotten it down, you know... And, all those things are pretty good. Like yeah. rent's not bad, you know, small space. Yeah. Small space. You're not having people sit down for an hour and a half and enjoying their acai bowl. Yeah. hundred percent. It's probably grabbing 95% takeout to like yeah. all relatively small spaces. Yeah. So I see the appeal. I see why James is like, okay, let's give it a shot. Yeah. Right. So, um, you're, you're before we went down this little rabbit hole, you were starting to tell me what you had to do to get second location, second number two ready for, launch yep but you guys tapped the brakes a little bit you need to go that fast i mean eight months opening a brand new restaurant is actually not is it's pretty fast i think you told me you guys were slowing down for something maybe they came later maybe it came later you know, i don't def- always get the the, the privilege <laughs> the of talking picture. to the, <laughs> the, the the holding company ceo before talking to the second yeah, ceo you know so um <clears throat> so yeah just kind of take that train of thought of like what was going on the next challenges how you overcame that yeah, I mean, we wanted to open a second one, right? So, okay, let's find a piece of real estate that works for what we want to do. Okay, who's going to run it? How are we going to run it? Um, do we need to get a general manager? Is this one going to be bigger than the last one? You know, like all those questions when you're evaluating a business that you run through. A lot of things based on feel, like to where we are today. Right. Where a lot of things data-driven and like, okay, we have do a Everything true... Everything, dude, is yeah. I do is based off feel. Right <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. We man. have like a true evaluation system where back then it was like, hey, this looks like a good spot. Let's give it a go. Yeah. So... Um, what were your biggest challenges getting going from the tech world to service? I mean, at this point, it wasn't that bad because I was still working that nine to five. I hadn't made that transition yet. Okay. So I was still, you know, I did a lot of the admin stuff. I knew the back end POS really well. I knew, I knew all the marketing stuff. I handled social media, um, all that type of stuff. But like that was, you know, so I you're just side hustling. So you're doing your full time job. Maybe guilty of doing a little bit of work while on the clock. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, that honestly is like when I knew that I had a, I had to go yeah. when I couldn't focus on my work that was actually paying me. Yeah, you know, to be there nine to five, I couldn't focus on that any longer because I was now like just completely consumed with thinking right. about how to grow this other business. Did you guys have a benchmark of like this is what we need to do with revenue from Bango Bulls before we can justify Ryan you coming on full time? No, I mean honestly. It, thinking back to like where we were to where we are now and like our financial visibility and all that, the things we're concentrating on now, you know, we were just kind of kids shooting from a hip, yeah. you know, but we've, we were always risk takers, right? Like that's what kind of got at least me here. Like I, I'm not afraid of a risk. I'm not afraid to start over. Um, so I was always wanting the next challenge and this Bengal Bulls was kind of that next challenge. Yeah. Where was Bengal Bulls when you did end up ultimately leaving your full time thing? I think we had four locations at that point, between three and four. Maybe we had three, and we were opening a fourth. But like Taproom was growing at the same time as well. So like that's when we started to see like the quality started to go down and what we were doing. Um, and that's because everyone was just getting spread too thin. Right. You know, everyone had too much on their plate. Um, we also at that point like we also started to see our sales start, start to level off. Right. Like now we're not in hyper growth mode anymore, and this is kind of where we're going to be. And we were like, hey, 
if we're going to grow this concept, we need X revenue to be able to really scale this thing. So now let's take a step back and everything that we do from this point, we want this goal of this revenue and we're going to build the business based on trying to hit that goal. How did you come to that goal, that X number? We looked and evaluated other businesses, you know, saw what other people are doing on an average unit volume and thought, hey, if we're, you know, we looked at our P&L. It's like, looking hey, at other Asahi Bowl concepts? Similar concepts, yeah. Okay. Similar competitive concepts. And we're looking at our P&L, seeing how much money we're making. It's like, hey, like we can make a little money doing this, but like, do we want to invest all this time and energy and really trying to scale this thing, uh, you know, to 100 stores, for, you know, for example, if there's not that much left, you know? So that's when we were like, okay, we don't think that this number is going to be okay. Like we want to get to a million bucks, right? Like, so if we're going to hit a million bucks, let's work backwards. How many customers out a day, how many items we have to sell and what are the items, right? And that's when we pivoted to, we're not just an acai bowl concept. We're a better for you brand that focuses on salads, acai bowls, smoothies, flaninis, and much more. So why was focusing on that other stuff, the, the trick to getting the, the revenue? Diversity. Diversity okay. in the menu. A lot of people are afraid of it, but we we really wanted to attack that veto boat. You know, we wanted to say, "Hey, if you're coming to the restaurant and your wife wants an acai bowl, you want a salad, and the kid protein, you exactly, want that protein, and somebody wants a poke bowl, like." We want to be able to get all three of those people into our restaurant, right? We have three day parts. We take advantage of that, and, and that there are was three healthy verticals. 100%. So you have like sweet tooth, like like smoothie, frozen yep. goodness. You have the vegan, uh, vegetarian option, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the healthy, but with protein. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one of the big things we focus on is the fact that we put as much emphasis on the health benefits as we do the flavor. Like, we, you know, we've done some marketing campaigns where it's like salt and pepper. Hell yeah, we use it. Like, we're not that far right, all organic, like no seasoning, tastes like cardboard. Yeah. We're not. That's not who we are. We're a blend of, hey, it's got to taste good. And it's got to. And there might be good. a little bit of sodium. But might you know what? Drink bit. some water. <laughs> all right. 100%. Bounce that shit out. Um, yeah. So. Where did, so was this when you're talking about kind of like hey this is where we want to be and let's reverse engineer it was that pre or post Kathleen Wood that was very pre Kathleen Wood okay yeah so how pre are we talking years probably like two to three years we've been working with Kathleen for about two years now okay um, tap room been working with her a little bit longer but Bengal specifically uh, about two years so this is so you guys are having this conversation like two years in <clears throat> your uh, your 14 months deep with uh, your second Bango Bowls location. Yep. How many locations are you at at this point, two years in? I think we had three with maybe a fourth under construction. So only three less than you have currently. Correct. Like we were going fast, probably a little too fast, right? That's another What made you think you were learning. going too fast? What happened? Because we, I would say we didn't understand the full model yet. Like we didn't even have a full model, right? Like we started as an acai bowl company. We were transitioning to this uh, better for you, diverse menu concept, right? And like now our footprints are a little bit different. Our our prototypes a little bit different. So you're going through puberty right now. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, you're growing, you're changing, but you don't know what what quite's going on yet. Exactly. You don't know how it's going to finish. Exactly. Exactly. And you know when you're when you try to steer a ship moving, like it's it gets very hard, right? So that yeah. every new unit you bring on, the bigger you get, the harder it gets. Hundred percent. So like now it's now we have a lot more elements to it. So now. At that point, okay, we want to tweak this, we want to tweak that. Now you're not opening new stores. You're like kind of going backwards and, and, and fixing things and making things yeah. better. Yeah. Um, what, 
what team did you have at your disposal at this time? Because it wasn't just you and James. James had his group of experts, right? He yep. had a, a back of house guy. Yep. Um, David was it? Yeah. Dave, no, yeah. Uh, there, there was David, but there was also some other name that was unique, like an M name. Mikey Nick? Mikey Nick, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure who he's using. But like, I guess um, you weren't leaning, like you weren't solely responsible for developing the recipes is where I'm going. No, this. not at that stage. So you, you had access to a team of people who were collectively working. Yeah, we were stuff. messing with it. Like I said, I was always like the food guy, like, and I'm not a trained chef by any means. I just like to eat. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I always say I'm a glorified at-home cook. Um, but yeah, just like once I get on something, it's like in my head. So I'll go and I'll make something like 3,000 times till it's perfect, till I feel like it's it's good then i bring it to them and say hey let's yeah. taste this let's taste this so something that comes up often is a shared vision and yep. making sure you have it was that a challenge for you guys because you did you have different ideas of where this thing should go was there a conflict of vision at, at any point no i don't think so i think you know we all knew like we started in one place and then it was like okay we if we want to grow it to this we need to pivot what are other and the, this was the X number you were going. Correct. You what threw are, out a million, but that was just a random number. Yeah. So what? Are, what? Are, no, a million was the number. Okay. So yeah, that was where we were trying to get to. A million gross. Yeah. Per location. Per location. Correct. So then it was like, is that well, weird for you to talk about? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was that was the goal, right? So then, is, then we, like we said, we reverse engineered it. It's like, okay, what are the other items that we think will resonate with what we're doing? And then we built it that so way. So you, you, you knew it needed to be volume, and that certain people weren't coming through the door because it was the voting. Like if one, if, if two out of three people didn't want yeah. acai bowls, then yeah. We also did it in iterations, right? Like we were never cooking when we were just an acai bowl concept, yeah. right? So now we're bringing in other food, but we still don't have any cooking equipment. So now we're, you know, we're getting pre-made chicken, serving a cold, a pre-made shrimp, serving a cold. You only do that for so long. It's better. The quality is just not there. Yeah. So it's like, we did that for six months. We're like, now the quality is going down of our, of our brand and our concept. Like if we want to move forward, like we need to figure out a technology or solution that we can bring some sort of cooking technology in here and make, make this a scratch kitchen right so what was that what were the challenges associated with that footprints cost um menu design whole thing how'd you keep the cost down of, of putting in more equipment yep what'd you have to do to keep the cost down and manageable because you like you pointed out you're not really hiring like executive chefs no not at all we really just had to find the right piece of equipment right what was that we use a rationale. I already knew the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just curious yeah. if you had something different to say. No, we use a rationale uh, combi oven, which is the best thing ever invented for cooking ever, in my opinion. You could literally cook anything a million different ways. Well, yeah, the cool thing is it's it's programmable. So, like, you have how many recipes for protein here? I'm guessing no more than 10. Less than that, three. Three. And they're all pretty, you know, salt, pepper, olive oil, like yeah, straightforward. So the prep is probably pretty straightforward, yep. right? Follow these ingredients, yep. this recipe, and then the the process of cooking becomes just as simple as another item on the recipe. Absolutely, you, you put it in the oven, you push the button, <laughs> yeah, and the the machine knows exactly cooks what to it do. perfect every time. Yeah. yeah, I think the key was when, once we were getting more diverse. It was like okay, we need to keep keep it simplified, though, right? So everything we put on the menu, we tried to do in three steps, and that's still true to this day. And not, I'm a, I'd be lying if I said everything is three steps, but that's kind of the the methodology behind it. We try to get everything in three steps, right? So as you're building, it's not getting too complex, right? So 
the more uh, first question I always get is, oh, you have all this diversity of all these different things. It's probably a really tough operation. Like our claim to fame is we have a diverse menu with a simplified operation. The focus is on the prep because the technology does the rest. So as long as we're prepping the right amounts and we're prepping them correctly, the technology will execute for us and make sure that we can spend our time on guest service, right? So then we can get our customers coming back every day. I love that. Um, I feel like I still want to talk about the rationale. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I can talk about rationale all day. <laughs> because it's not just the consistency that is huge and the biggest challenge when it comes to preparing proteins is keeping it consistent. Mm-hmm. But... It's also cooked with steam, right? So yeah. I know that you get a much higher yield. You're not losing, yep. uh, you know, there's not waste dripping out of the meat, mm-hmm. you know? And the other thing I think is um, the energy, the actual, it's a low, it doesn't take a lot of energy yeah. power bills. I mean, it's an electric, know? it's uh, self-venting. It's cooking so- mostly with uh, water, uh, hydrate, or um, steaming, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a combi oven, so it uses both convection and steam, yeah. but you can control those to whatever you'd like. like we, did a, we did a falafel LTO uh, a few years ago, right? So, like, you want the, the steam to provide some of that moisture, like if you're frying, right? You want the steam to provide some of that moisture, but you need the convection to make it crispy, right? right. So we literally had to dial in, and it was like, okay, we're going to do 53% steam, 47% convection and we kept tweaking that to make the perfect piece of falafel right i used to kind of be very anti these things i'm not gonna lie when i was more naive when i was just starting the podcast i was like every restaurant should cook over open fire and the loss of the you know like the the art of cooking yeah yeah like yeah it's expensive very expensive you know to to run those types of restaurants and i think the the pragmatist the, the the pragmatist in me is not every restaurant can do that yeah. Literally meaning there isn't enough market space for every restaurant to be charging those um, like that amount just to be able to have somebody who's skilled enough to manage a fire, you know, to keep consistency of the product. Yep. You yeah. know, so like that's just one like a little thing. Like it's a big marketplace and there's room for all of us. So that's kind of what kind of broke my, my habits of making like everything had to be, you know, technique, James Beard like type yeah. of cooking. And I mean, there's room for both, right? There's yeah, exactly. Not to say there's not room for those things as well, but, but as, I feel like as this, convenience yeah. becomes more a part of your life, like that's, it's like, okay, we can't be James Beard for everyone's lunch where everyone needs to get their food in 30 minutes. Like, that's one of the reasons why I love Danny Meyer so much yeah. is because he's, I think he's like when he first, most people, when they get into the industry, they're just like, filled with piss and vinegar yeah. right they're like we're gonna do everything from scratch the hard way and then they get into it and they start doing it and they execute it and like i literally if i want to scale if i want to provide fiscal responsibility security to my people i need to do something else yeah bring in shake shack you know like or yeah. that's his cash cow you know yeah uh anyway but like i think more and more restaurant operators need to be able to get outside their little bubble of like what they think the right way is and except that there's so many different ways yeah. and the true restaurant tour looks at all the ways and looks for gaps and knowing the market well enough and knowing the trade well enough to say there's an opportunity here if I'm willing to adapt. Yeah. You know? No, I think sometimes you have to take, you know, for the, for those who are all food focused, you have to take your chef hat off and then put your business owner hat on. Like there has to be a blend of the two. Like, it, you know, not to say that, some of these five star Michelin star places, you know, they, they hold a certain standard, but they're different on their different category, right? Only like, a certain percentage of, of our demo, of our population can support those restaurants. You exactly. Know? Uh, and exactly. they have their place, like you said. Yeah. And that's like, 
you said only a certain amount of people. Like our concept, the diversity of the menu, we're trying to attract more people, right? More people who want to eat better for themselves. Right. right? And, and, and conveniently. Right. And like you can still do sustainable type focused cooking and use technology. Uh, I mean, there, there are ways to abstain these, the, what's the word, the integrity without sacrificing quality of food and you yeah. know the environment and stuff absolutely like that, you know? i mean we still make all of our all of our dressings are made in house yeah. all of our p- proteins are seasoned in house like you know we're still doing all those things we're just using a quicker and more efficient technology to cook those okay so i think what got us down this rabbit hole is we we're <laughs> talking about the challenges of you know of of realizing that you needed to offer more if you wanted to get to your goal of one million yep. per location, yep. so you said we need to, you know, diversify our menu. Oh crap! If we're going to do this, we need to lean on technology so we can keep our labor expense down. I think mm-hmm. that's where we left off. Yeah. So what? And I- this is kind of like where I transitioned to be like, okay, now we're now we're going to take this to the next level. Now somebody needs to truly lead this business, and that's when we had a conversation as a group and said, I'll do it. I, I wanted. So that's to when you left your full time job that's to, left to be the CEO yeah. of Bango Bowls. Yeah. What was that transition? Excuse me, that transition like uh, difficult. You know, when I was at LinkedIn, I, I did pretty well, um, very comfortable. You know, so the hardest part was the conversation with my wife. Probably. Uh, <laughs> these are the fun. Like this is the stuff that you don't talk about. Yeah. On the the forty five minute podcast. One hundred percent. How do you navigate those waters? Hey, babe. You know, all the security that I spent time, you know, I, I had a career change. I built this up, up yep. again. I was finally on a really good Third track. change yep. coming up here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she knows me. Like I said, we've been together since we were 15 years old. Like, So she was locked in. She was locked in. She wasn't going anywhere. We were living in the city at this point. We both wanted to move back to Long Island. We wanted to start to uh, raise a family. So I was like, this is the opportunity. I could, we, I could take something and we can grow it. And my thing with, with being at LinkedIn, like I was a career sales professional. My my the most I can go was capped yeah. to a degree, right? Like, okay, if I want to make three hundred thousand dollars, like great living, like I'm not not saying that's not unbelievable amount of money to be making, but like that was my How cap. How far does that go in Manhattan? <laughs> <laughs> not, not as far as you think, to be honest. Um but like I was like I don't want to be limited. Like I think I could do more and I want the ability to do more and I want to drive to that more. So like this is my opportunity to go lead a an organization and take everything I've learned especially in regards to scale and growth, right? Like LinkedIn is a, what, at one point is the fastest growing company in the, in the world. Like I'm going to use this and I'm going to apply it to this, this food concept that I genuinely love and care about. So how did you apply it? Basic stuff. Like I always say this, like there are some basic things like having a mission statement, like simple, but if you don't have that vision and you aren't have a singular vision with your entire team, like then there's no captain, right? So like simple things like, having a mission statement, how to run a meeting, you know, how to organize things, how to have divisions, you know, like marketing, HR, like how to segment that stuff, how to use communication within a company that's effective, you know, like yeah. basic things. Dude, you're jacking me up right now because <laughs> I agree 100% with you and I feel like there's so many resources out there that are like, here's how you set up a, a schedule, which is super important to know how to do. Here's how you read a P&L. Here's how you take inventory and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. Is super important stuff, like yeah. the step by step, systematical things that you need to do to control. You need those systems. Yeah. But the things we don't talk about, this here's how you become a better leader. Here's how you understand your emotions 
and how you, why or why you need to understand your emotions yep. and communicate your emotions and be receptive to what people say to you. And like, that's the kind of stuff like, or the cash flow management or systems, like you said, for communicating, like that's where I think people go wrong in the restaurant industry. Like they, it's the, it's the communication. It's the, it's the little things. It's the foundational stuff that just, you don't see consistently across all concepts. Yeah. I mean, 99% of problems in any business are based on communication. So right? what is your, your process for communication? We use a Systems. few. We use a few different things. Um, we use Slack. I am yep. I am an avid Slack user. I have any business I have any interest in, literally anything. My whole life runs on Slack. It's organized. It is how I communicate. If somebody in the restaurant texts me, I will not answer. Like they have to Slack me because then I know it's organized. I know I can go find it. I'm not scrolling through text messages trying to find a file. You know, like it has to be in Slack, and that's the way we communicate as an organization. And everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, what about communication in person? Yeah. Do you have like standard, like, did you learn about meetings and how to host meetings? And 100%. Like, what, did that, what does that look like? How often do you guys meet? What, are, what do your <clears throat> meetings look like? I think it's changed over a period of time, right? Like, as you get a little bit larger and you have more infrastructure, it starts to become a little bit more structured, right? Like, in the beginning, when I was the operator, it was pretty much myself and all the GMs, right? So it was much more like on the fly. Like yeah. I'm coming to the store. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk about these. The key. meeting was prep in the morning. Yeah. You were uh, standing shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> exactly. Talking. While we talked about the their muscle memories yeah. going at it and you're talking <laughs> about everything else. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it changes over time. But like that's part of the evolution of your business and part of growth is knowing when those things need to change and who now needs to be in those meetings and who we need to motivate in certain ways. And that's where like it comes back full circle. So we talked about marketing. It's like, okay, marketing is one-to-one communication, right? And that's what I learned early on. But so is relationships. Like you can't blanket So one, one-on-one marketing, which is direct mail marketing essentially, right? No, I or, mean any, any type of marketing is one-on-one marketing. Like we're now you're, using email marketing to talk one-to-one to customers. Because you're getting the, the segmentation, you're drilling down the, the, exactly. those lists. Yeah. So you know how to tailor the message. And it's the same, same way to manage, right? Like yeah. You have to talk one-to-one. You can't blanket manage. You could have one unified goal, which is super important, but the way you have to communicate with your employees is a little yeah. bit different based on each personality. Yeah. I won't lie. I was fishing here a little bit. I was hoping you would talk about some type of uni- like way of organizing in like your annual meetings, your quarterly meetings, your weekly meetings, is there? Do you have things like this? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're I would say we're newer to this. We're getting a lot bit, a lot better. Where we're having you know meetings about our financial visibility and we're really having structured cadence. But again, our, yeah. our team is but our team is new. To my point, you're at as a restaurant group at ten locations. Yeah, and I'm not like saying you're doing anything wrong. I think this is standard. You know, it's usually to the point, it waits to the point where you have to start doing something, right? Mm-hmm. But my message is like a lot of people, like you're implementing this stuff now. My goal is to get everyone who's listening to this, who's at one location, to realize that now is the time to start doing this. Because yes. it's easier to do it now than wait until we get to <clears throat> 10 locations and then have to like roll out all these new processes. Well, it's, it's a tricky. It's a tricky balance, right? Right. As you get more locations, you get more revenue. And then you can use new softwares and you could have other things that are right. nice when you have infrastructure. So, you you know, you can't just have one unit and say, oh, I'm going to use this, 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 and this. It, absolutely, you want to start thinking about it. But there is an evolution. I mean, you have to run some things parallel. 
right? right? You have to be like, okay, when we get to this stage, I'd like to implement this I feel, because I, now I the that. business can support that. Right, right. So the, the one thing I'm really excited about recently, I'm just going to go out and say it so I can get it out already, <laughs> um, is I, I learned about um, from Big Grove Brewery, which is based out of Iowa City. Okay. They mentioned it. I know um, I'm excited to talk to Death & Co. about this because I know mm-hmm. they use it. It's called EOS, and it stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And it's it, it was delivered by Traction, uh, Gino Wickman. I don't yep. know if you've heard the book yeah, Traction. Uh, this, the, yeah, so he, he talks about um, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. But within that is the framing for uh, annual and quarterly and weekly meetings. And I just don't think that's something that's common within the industry, where we we have these scheduled meetings and we set up time to communicate and time to resurface our ten year goal. Right. And I was talking to James about this and I know that Kathleen came in and she helped do this again two years ago. Yep. You know, um, but these these tools, these resources are out there. And I think that if you can start with one location and you start these habits, you'll get to five locations much faster because it's having those things baked in when you're small that helps you get fast faster because you're forcing these things to communicate. That I absolutely absolutely agree with. Yeah, absolutely agree with. Yeah. And it's just as you grow. You start to learn a little bit more and it's like, okay, now we need to implement this. It's all done in stages. Like yeah. it's not, you know, it's not that segmented. It's all done. You don't done. know until you know. Exactly. And you got to figure out. And you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So <laughs> until you go find until somebody who, who can help out. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I totally get where you're coming from, man. I don't disagree one bit. Um, it, like it doesn't happen all at once. Right. And hopefully with your, you know, your story and James story and the thousands of people that came before you that we can help people who are small today see this stuff so they can get that security yeah. faster yeah i think the moral of like what we just talked about is like hey like seek help you know right. find other resources find other restaurateurs you know listen to podcasts like this yeah and learn about what other people are doing because that's where you're going to learn yeah. about what the next step is and listen what is the, how did you start this uh consider criticism no breakfast Feed- Feedback, feedback is breakfast champions. Right, that's true. That doesn't really tie in. I guess I, I was a little bit <laughs> of a reach there. But um, what else in terms of the scale of Bango Bowls, uh, where you are now today, seven locations, um, take us to where we last left, left off, where you're talking about diversifying, you're adding system, communication. What else? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've added a bunch of things. Um, so when I first took over as CEO, I think that's kind of where we are. Uh, it was about improving what we're currently doing, right? And that's where that, that pause kind of came in. It was like, okay, now we, I think we were up to five locations, maybe four locations getting to a fifth. And that was when it was like, okay, now we're going to get to a million dollars, right? That's our goal. These are some of the technologies, cooking-wise, product-wise, is what we need to do. So now it's to go back and change all the systems and process and reteach, Oof. hire better people, right? Like in that process, has, we took a little while, right? So it's like, okay, now we're getting our, our AUVs up. We're doing really well. What's Just, AUV? Uh, average unit volume. Okay. So now we're getting, getting those up, and we're starting to get in a place where, okay, these stores are starting to become you know, pretty profitable. The business is looking good. What is, what is our next step for, from a growth standpoint? And at this point, you know, we were working with Kathleen. I was probably in the CEO role for maybe two years, two, three years. Um, and we decided that our next stage of growth is going to be through franchising. So I am curious about what is it exactly that I'm curious about? How do I own this in? So you're, we, it, seems, it seems like you do marketing really well. And that was a big part of your success because you guys mentioned that there was a point where you were kind of floundering where you didn't quite know what the next move was. And you saw that business actually went down a little bit. Yep. Right. Was it marketing? 
bringing that marketing in house that really helped turn that around, or was it just refining the product? What was? What do you think it was that got you to your that your unit locations were doing all like, like? What were the biggest changes you made? Honestly, I always say every time I have a conversation with somebody, like the restaurant business is pretty simple. Right, it is great product. It is a clean restaurant, and it is great guest service. Yeah. Right, so like everything has to be broken back down to that. So like, if you want to make a better restaurant, you should only focus on those three things. Right, right, and everyone should know that. And yes. those three things every day should be the most important things. Yeah, if you do those three things, the restaurant will grow, and that's when things like marketing come into it to help get more. I'm happy people. you're saying this <laughs> because I say it a lot too. I agree 100. percent Like I think people. They think, oh, like you know, we can do we, we can do better. I think we they, and they put their energy out, going, hey, like you go look for more business over here, mo- over here. You hire somebody to improve your SEO over there, and if you just took the time to put that energy in, yeah, to do what you're already doing, yeah. but you figure out how to do it better. That means better service, more efficient, you know, better margins, tighten things up. You have systems, but they could probably be better. Yeah. I mean, you know it doesn't scale. Shitty yeah. food and bad service. Right. And you keep doing that until you can't squeeze any more liquid out of the rock. Yep. You know, like, okay, this is tight. And then what's, and the, but what happens is if you put the energy in, by the time you're ready to turn back around to put it out, you don't have to mm-hmm. because you're keeping people around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think we can fast forward. Um, you're doing all these things. To, to tighten things up, to get clarity on the vision, to get clarity on the cult, the culture, to improve your communication, to I- increase your margins and increase revenue. And you're saying, you're saying to yourself, we need more help. Let's yeah. go hire help. Yeah. What was that conversation like? At that point I was doing everything myself. You know, we had X amount of stores, so we had no infrastructure really. We had, G- it was literally GMs, shift managers, team members, CEO. Right. So like, yeah, nice title, but like, I'm not a CEO. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm the owner. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. I'm yeah. literally the warrior just running around helping put out fires. Right. Yeah. And if you want to get to that next stage, like you can't just be putting out fires. You have to plan, you have yeah. to prioritize and you know, you have to actually put things in place. Right. So that was when it was like, if we're going to grow this more, we need infrastructure. Right. We need more people focusing on what is going to get us to the next level. Got it. Um, before we start talking and really unpackaging what you learned about what that looks like, and for you, the, that, that vehicle is franchising, mm-hmm. but before we unpackage that, I am curious about your relationship with James. Yep. Uh, do, were you an equity partner from day one? Did you, did you put, like, how did that work out? With Bangables? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. did you put in money up front? Yep. And yep. was it, how did you guys structure that? Smaller percentage, because I was only doing back-end stuff. I wasn't the operator, right? So, like... You know, percentage of equity in the business. Correct. Yeah. So we broke all that up and right when we started based on like what we were going to be doing, right? Like we kind of laid all that out. Like, okay, we know you have a full-time job. Like this is what we expect of you. Those guys are the operators. They got the bigger, bigger piece of the puzzle, right? Like completely understood, transparent, all good. That changed when I decided to say, Hey, I'm going to leave my, my job and then come over and now I'm going to be the CEO. So then there was a, an equity transfer. So you guys have been point. friends for a long time. So was it just like a handshake? Yeah. Like, yeah. At it. that point, it was 100%. Um, again, we've known each other forever. You know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I recommend always doing that, but like that right. was our relationship. I mean, what, what would you recommend if you didn't have that, that level of friendship? Like I mean, you always want to have a standard operating agreement in place. You know, you right. want to have 
at least some level of attorney just kind of draw that up. Right. So at least you have something um, that kind of show, you know, that you could reference and say, hey, this is this is what we signed up for. This is what we're doing. This is your percentage. And that may change time, you know, over time. And then you have to write a new operating agreement. But you always want to have something in place that kind of guides. Right. Get a lawyer involved. Yeah. Right. And I, I love the model of, you know, what, what they're doing with um, eat, drink. That's the other restaurant i'm trying to get on the show somebody to represent eat drink and be merry out of new york uh i talked to their sister business in charleston and their whole model is hey like you want to become a partner um okay well let's get an ebitda of this restaurant find out its true value and okay it's valued at a million dollars yep for one point one percent ten thousand dollars you can become a partner and you own one percent of the business Mm -hmm. and then they and that's how they bring on partners but they start where they can right so you start at one percent you know but then as time goes you're putting money away you can buy another point and Mm -hmm. another point until you're out there opening restaurants because you're generating wealth from this from this restaurant group just like the original founders are yeah Uh, i think that's a good way to do it i think you should you should buy in because if you're going to put money up but here's one percent is way more attainable for people trying to get in than yeah absolutely you know 50 percent. yeah you got to start somewhere right um absolutely you but it's start. something and it's skin in the game and it's money up front to, to weed out the people who yes. aren't truly interested. yeah i think all of us are we're definitely believers in like if you're going to get in you got to put some money up because right. you got to have skin in the game as well got it so that was what the the partnership looked like when you were chose to come on full-time yeah any other advice about what that like transitioning into a, a, a business or swinging more into a business? No, I mean I, I was ready to go from for me myself. Uh, I was ready to go, and I was already like immersing myself in it. So like, it was almost a relief once I left my other job because it was like, oh, I don't have to have two jobs now. I just have this one, you know, that I'm super focused on. Um, so no, it was just it was a, it was a smooth transition for me. The harder transition was immersing myself into the management like getting to know the general managers what was hard about that i mean now i'm a guy that is not the operator coming in from outside um and i'm gonna change things. now you're the boss yeah i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna change some things because how we're doing it right now is not good enough right so going from i, w- I don't want to say absentee management but like james and the other guys were growing tap room right so like they couldn't be there all the time so our general managers were like really like owning their stores and sometimes they needed more support and it's not their fault. Like they didn't have the direction or the, the help that they needed. And because of that, like some bad decisions are made or wrong decisions. We had to get in there. We had to tweak it and we had to fix some things. What, what advice do you have for moving in on a, in a leadership role like that and kind of like taking like displacing the previous leader? You have to be cognizant of how people feel, right? Be self-aware of who you're dealing with and understand that everyone's a little different. Um, and you have to help them understand why you're doing things the way you are. Don't just come in and do it. Help them find the vision and that help them see what you see. The reason you're doing this is to make this better. If we make this company better, this will happen, right? So like find out what motivates each individual person and then get them on that track. How do you find out what motivates each individual person? Listening. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. And I'm giving another pitch that workshop we're doing three days away when you're (laughs) listening to this. Kathleen Wood is the author of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? She knows her shit. It's a workshop you do not want to miss. RSVP right now. All right. So moving forward, um, let's talk about where are you today? I think Kathleen's been helping you over the past two years. Yep. Where, where are you today? 
Where are we today? Uh, we have seven corporate locations, one of which we're sitting in right now. Uh, we actually just built this out in December, so we just opened this location uh, and one other in uh, New Hyde Park about 20 minutes down the road. Uh, that one was built in April. So now we just got to seven corporate locations, uh, and we are actively franchising the concept starting this past June. So June 1st was our, our first uh, announcement that we are now accepting franchisees. Congrats, dude. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's awesome. Um, where were you two years ago? Not here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just started working with Kathleen, right? So honestly, for me, like the most transformational two years of my entire life are probably these last two years. How did you transform? Working at it, mm. you know, like, like really. personally? Both, or? both. You know, I've, I went from being the operator where I was doing everything every day to having to build a team, lead a team, organize a team and help plan for a team and then help keep everyone accountable on that team. So that's like been one of the hardest transitions of my career um, because I've always been able to muscle through everything, right? I've always like change doesn't scare me, right? I'm just going to put my head down and I'm going to run through the wall and we're going to figure this out. Right. But this is the first time that I cannot muscle through it and I have to learn new ways to lead a team. Why can't you muscle through it? Because it's just not enough like you just can't do it yourself so you need you know, we talked about the speed of a team and why all those pieces matter it's like understanding how those pieces fit into the puzzle and how we get everyone to, to work together so what's the hard part of that for you is it visualizing how it all comes together or is it the keeping people accountable it's honestly every piece of it for me you know like because I'm going through it right now. So what are those pieces? It's the it's the building it out and knowing how everything fits together, right? Yep. We've identified in that. It's you mentioned holding people accountable. Yeah. Did you say delegating? Yeah, delegating. Delegating's got to be the hardest thing Why? ever. Hard for you? Because you have to consciously say, okay, I could do this right now myself and it'll take me 20 minutes or I can take 15 minutes to explain to somebody else like Screw it. I'm just going to do it myself. It's only going to take an extra five minutes. But then guess what? Next time you got to do it, that's another 20 minutes, another 20 yeah. minutes instead of somebody on your so team. So taking the 15 minutes longer now is an investment Correct. of your time Correct. for the future. And you have to train your mind to do that. Like me specifically, like I've always like, I'll just work harder, right? I'll stay up later and I'll get this done at some point. But then I become the bottleneck. Now the company is not moving fast enough because everything needs to come through me. Right. Like I need to get out of the way and I need to hire people who are better at these things than I am and let them do what they were hired to do. Right. Right. And so, my, as a leader, you just have to make sure that the vision and the goal is all aligned. And then we're staying accountable to what we all agreed on what the vision and the goal is. So the hard part Knowing how it fits together, we, t- we identified the, 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 the narrative, the self-narrative you've told yourself for why it's better to delegate. In terms of holding it all together, how have you improved in that front? Basic things like building a priority list and sticking to those priorities, right? Like we work on only having three priorities. Were you not a list person a year, two years ago? I'm a list person. But I'm a, just a complete list person. So you just it just gets on the list. Just dump it on, and I'll just keep checking it off, checking it off. So what's off. different about your list today? Now I prioritize that list. What's there that are level? things that are on the bottom of the list that don't matter right now, and I can't let them come into my mind because they don't matter right now. You know, the three priorities are the three priorities, and we have to stick with those. And every day we wake up, we need to make sure the team is knows what the priorities are and are all working on those priorities. Yeah, there's a book out there. It's called Eat That Frog. I think it's by Brian Tracy. Okay, I heard I'm that. not sure if I got the author right, but he talks about it's it's 
it's a book on productivity. It's like how do you eat a, a big frog? Yeah. One, one like, bite at a time. Exactly. Yeah. It's, but it's like a gross <laughs> I've thing. I've heard it was an elephant, not yeah, a Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that was so like it's uh, so it's a book that that's where it got the name, but he talks about the use of listening. He, yeah. he gets into what you're talking we, about. In our office, we actually have a sign that says, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but he, he talks about on that list, like, and I'm the same way. Like for the most part, I just have like a running list. I use an app on my computer called Momentum, which every time I open a new browser, it's my core focus of the day. Uh, an inspirational quote, which right now it says, fear, uncertainty, and discomfort are your compasses toward growth. I don't know. It's a little weird. I don't know if I like that one. Um, <laughs> And there's a list off to the right where it has my to-do list, but he says that that's not enough. Yeah. You need a list that has, I think, four quadrants. Okay. And I think um, it's like important is one thing. Uh, important, not urgent is another thing. Uh, not important, not urgent. So yeah. it's like the bottom of your list. And then important and urgent. And you always put the important and urgent things at the top of your list. Yep. And that way you're, you're getting the most important things done. Yeah. And then whatever you have time for, the little things that aren't important or aren't urgent can wait. Yeah. Until they become more urgent yeah. or important. Yeah. But we've been what I've been working on is I have the list. Everything goes on the list, right? So whatever it is, I think of it, it goes on the list. Then you check off one, two, and three, and those three priorities will go over to my next page. And those are the only things that I'm working on. And nice. they have actionable targets. Right, like this week. So we're, you eliminate all the other distractions. Yeah, it still goes on the list. Doesn't mean it doesn't have to get done. Just doesn't have to be the top one right now. So, like this week, we're working on guest counts in certain stores and and weekly sales in another store. So, like a member of my team every morning sends yesterday's guest counts in our Slack channel because I want everyone to see every day how many guests we did the day before. So, like we're hitting the streets canvassing right now because we're trying to drive sales. You know, so like I want people to see the impact of when we do that little bit extra and we hit the streets it's not just because we feel like making everyone run around like a crazy person it's, be, it's because it makes an impact yeah. right so now we see every day the sales go up and the guest counts go up because we're hitting the streets because we're working hard towards one unified goal i love that man i love that any other tips on lists use is there an app that you use to help or is it just like- no just an excel spreadsheet my good friend kathleen wood you know helps yeah. we honestly Thank i talked you, to, I talked about this with her for maybe like a year and a half you know, last year when I was like, I need this in a, some sort of technology form. Cause I was working, I just worked on lists, like just straight lists. And I look, I need, I kind of portrayed what I needed. And recently she designed it, built it and was like, this is how you need to work. That's and awesome. I don't even know what she's doing with anyone else, but she knows how my brain works. Yeah. And she's like, okay, we're going to use this tool to make sure we stay focused on these priorities. And like now I've been using it for a few weeks and I'm like, this is like, revolutionary like nice. this just changed my my life yeah she's great um there's only one other thing i can think to add that i know of in terms of lists going back to that quadrant of using urgent not important not important or not in yep. urgent whatever once you get that list narrowed down the next thing to do is to put like can, am i the only person that can do this or can i delegate it mm-hmm. so like you drill down even more it's a great book yeah. i just would say go check out that book i think it's brian tracy eat that okay. frog um, i'm not saying that to you but you're welcome i'm saying to anybody who's listening to this if they want to take that further um so we talked about delegation we talked about organizing uh your what did we talk about we talked i know we, we unpackaged delegation are we still yeah. doing delegation right now are we still in delegation we still i mean it's a big piece of it yeah um i think you said the other thing was 
keeping other people accountable priorities yeah. is that what it was yep priorities Do- accountability right. and you do that by assigning real trackable goals right that's how we keep people accountable is we identify what are the actual goals right okay we want to drive drive sales this week all right let's put a number on it like we want to do this number this week and we're going to look at it every day and we're going to see visualize that we're either hitting it or we're not hitting it so scorecards exactly everything everything needs to be trackable you need to put a hard number on it it's like okay we want x amount of guests like every day i want to see how many guests we have got it so do you sit down and help make these goals with people or do they make their own goals do you assign goals a little bit of both you know a little bit of both as i'm learning and becoming a better leader you know i like to let them do it themselves and then kind of hone in on it yeah. right and like tweak it like hey that's a really really good starting point but i think we should do it like this you know so, so it's a little bit of both you want their input you want them yeah. to feel like they're not just being told what to do they're 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 working and they're thinking that they're exercising their brain and we're developing our team now like from a personal standpoint and from a career standpoint like you're you're using those mental exercises to get better so you're starting to think about things differently so when you make a goal for yourself like put a hard number on it like what is what how are you going to say if you did this or not? Right? right. And then that's how we're going to look at it. I like that. Um, all right. Let's move forward. So okay. that's where you were two years ago. Today, this is what this is how she's helped you, right? This is all yep. the things she came in. Um, where, what are your most recent challenges? Like, where are you today? And what, what are the things that, you know, keep you up at night, if anything? I think staying on that priority list and staying true to it every week is has been my number one challenge because it's so easy to just fall back to your what you already know and your muscle memory right like this is a new thing for me and i need to build my muscle memory so much so like as a ceo new new shit hits the fan every day so understanding what you should work on today or what doesn't need to be solved today right like so sticking to that priority list and like hey there's four more fires i gotta put it on my list but i don't have to deal with them right now because they're not you know but that's the beauty of a list is it keeps track of it for you so you don't have to conjure up this list of priorities every morning when you wake up you just pick up where you left off something comes up yeah put it on the list yeah reed hoffman was uh was a ceo of linkedin and he you know serial entrepreneur and he said every day when you go home there's a fire burning you just need to figure out which one you know, again, you can't put them all out. So you got to figure out which one needs to go out before you go home. Yeah. Which one's closest to the baby? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so going forward, like what's your, like what's, you know, where are you headed? What's the future? How are you, how are you evolving Bango Bulls to be ready for the future? Yeah. I mean, we're trying to build a first in class team to grow our franchising model and to continue to, to grow the business. Um, you know, we, we kind of try to say we're the we want to be the white hat of the franchise world, and I think franchising in general kind of can be a little bit of a dirty industry. You know, there's a lot of bad eggs out there. Like when we're building a franchise business and a franchise support structure, like I truly mean that. So like when we talk to the team today, it's like when we have franchisees, it's the same exact thing as it's a corporate store. Like there's so many franchise systems that are like them versus you, and like that is the furthest thing from what we're trying to build here. Like we're genuinely trying to build a full support system to give these franchisees anything they ever, any and everything they need to be successful because our success is their success. Right. Right. And like, I genuinely mean that. So whether we're buying technologies, whether we're putting people in place to help support them, we're literally doing everything we can to make sure everyone is as successful as corporate locations, if not better. Got it. So 
what does that actually look like? How you how like how are you going to do this? Yeah. What's the strategy for execute, executing this white hat team? First is people, right? Putting people in place who've done done these things before. You know, we're hiring a team that has been in the franchising world. Like we're new to this, right? Like so, we hire consultants that have been in the franchising. We hire our new director of operations comes from Noodles and Co. Right, five hundred something locations in a franchise system understands what it's supposed to look like, and we're using his knowledge or whoever else's knowledge on the team to help build our structure. You know, what did they do that you liked? What did they do that you didn't like? What, without getting into details, because I don't want to, you know, disclose where the issues came from, what are some of the things they identified in their past lives that they want to prevent you from making with your... I mean, it's really just like basic systems and stuff because once, especially from the, the larger corporations, it's like like we said with the ship and trying to steer things, it's like once people, ha- once you have 500 units, it's really hard to change anything, right? So like right. super challenging. So like thinking about everything we're doing is like, hey, can we make the right decision here? Is this scalable? This is, is, it uh, makes sense now, but are we going to regret yes. this 100 locations yes. from now? Yeah. And whatever those pain points were, like just literally identify the pain points and let's talk through them. Yeah. Like, what did you like about your last role? What did they do really well? And what didn't they do? So, okay, how does that fit into our ecosystem and our, our process? Right. Like, what can we grab from that? So talking about building the, you know, building it out before you move into it, right? Building out. So, like, you're talking about people, getting the right people on your team, i.e. the directors of operations, the executive coaches, things like this. What elements are you missing? Like, do you have a CFO? We do not have CFO. So how are you prioritizing who you bring on first when you're, when you're building this up? Literally sit, build out an entire org chart for the next three years. Like we put goals just like how we do with our team now. Like the corporate team, myself, I have goals too. Like I want to hit X amount of locations. If I want to hit X amount of locations, then I need this many roles. It's going to cost this much money for this many roles. Put that on paper. Okay. This is where our money from a corporate standpoint can help fund this. This is where we're going to need no, new money. We're going to have to go find a way to support all this infrastructure, right? Because it gets heavy. You know, like the corporate stores can only do so much. Now we have all this payroll from a management side that we need to figure out. But literally just plan it out. Put everything on paper. It's all right. What are our three-year goals? And then break that down and work backwards. Got it. Um, what else needs to be built out? When you're talking about technology before, where are you in the technological front as you move forward? How are you looking to evolve? I mean, we're definitely uh, forward thinking. We definitely use technology a, a pretty substantial amount in all aspects of the business. Like we talked about cooking, right? Like everywhere, everywhere in the restaurant, like tickets come in and they're routed to the appropriate stations. Like now in today's world, there's... 10 different places you can get an order from. But like the restaurant, the folks in the restaurant shouldn't have to care about that. Yeah. Every ticket should a come in exactly ticket. the same way. Yeah. And they make it and then they put it on the, you know, put it to be picked up or put it to be sat So down. is this where Lunchbox comes in? Lunchbox is definitely one of those key players. Yeah. What else are the other players that you're, you're pulling on? The most recent one that we've invested in that I think is like super transformational uh, is uh, a, it's called Opus. What's Opus? Opus is a learning platform all done via handheld device or tablet. Um, The ability to create and distribute content is at the heart of training, right? And that is what the heart of Opus does. It allows you to build out training platforms that all come directly to the phone so you can have one-to-one communication or group communication with every person in your system. So for us, that's really two systems, right? That's the restaurant teams that work for our corporate stores, you know, who are 
the uh, team members and general managers, but then we also have franchisees, right? So from the team member standpoint, what if I can release a new product rollout, right? And I could show a video on the phone and then give you a quiz directly on the phone. You can answer it. Now I know that all these employees watched our training, did our training, completed it, right? So how is Opus different than Wisetail? Opus is all done on the mobile device, whereas Lysetail, mostly done uh, laptop, desktop. Today's world, especially with our workforce, like our workforce is, is generally pretty young, you know, high school, college kids. So we need to be able to get that in their hands. So it's all, they're both essentially LMS. Yeah, I, I'd put them both in LMS uh, category, yes. Is there a little bit of redundancy there? No. Bango's not using Wisetail. We're only using Opus. Okay. Um, that was just an organization decision based on the different types of... People working. Yeah. yeah. So that was just a different decision we made. And again, it's just about the ability for, for, for Bango. We made the decision that it was about the ability to create and distribute. And that's what Opus allowed us to do super quick and super fast, super easy. Got it. Um, but then on the franchisee side, like that's what, what I really love is like yeah, yeah. we can create inventory management training right and send it directly to a franchisee it's the same no matter where and he's like hey i'm having problems with my my cost of goods what's the problem hey have you taken the restaurant inventory management training i see you haven't actually if you start here this is probably a good step if you don't then we'll have another conversation and we'll be able to talk it's about creating a frictionless system right like just like your podcasts go up and anyone can access them at any point right like same thing like one, once you once one person has a problem, somebody else is probably going to have that problem too. Right. So we're creating a content library for anyone in our system. So then when they have a problem, they can access that. Or we can distribute that just super fast. Right. And then we can see if they took it. Then we can see where they where they maybe failed. Is the problem still happening? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So like we're trying to make the whole system frictionless. Got I think it. that's the goal is to make the system frictionless by being able to create and distribute content in a, a fast and easy way. No, in your opinion, what is the secret to scaling culture? Being real, you know, like you have to actually be it. Like you have to carry yourself in a certain way. I always like I I did another uh, speaking engagement. It was like restaurant people are real. Like you know this, right? You have to be That's real. Why I freaking love my yeah, hundred percent. You know, like I'm trying to use the f word a little less often. Yeah, I was I was pretty bad about that for a while. I have also not a good mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait till my guest drops the f ball. Yeah. I usually play f ball tennis with them for a while. Yeah, but, uh, I won't nice. be the first one to do it. Anyway. I think um, I did it once. I'm not gonna lie. To so you just have to be real. You know, like yeah. you have to let people see your true colors, and you have to be that person every day. You know, and you have to advocate for letting people give you feedback right like i'm the ceo like i don't care about the title you can give me any any team member any gm can message me on slack at any point and say hey like why did you do this that way yeah and i'll ask them what you know what, what don't you like about it and then we can dig into it are you familiar with um was it dunbar's number i'm not so it's this theory that we can only handle about 150 relationships mm -hmm. so when your business grows beyond 150 relationships how are you going to be real with people when you can't keep track of people? That's a good question. Um, I think with your team, right? As you, as the system gets larger, 
the infrastructure supports that system. So maybe it's one person to every 150 people. That's what the data tells me. I need one, you know, one franchise business consultant for every 150 units because this is all they can handle, right? Yeah. And give them the tools to make their life easier, like a content distribution tool or like Slack where we can have open communication. Everyone knows what's going on. It's like what are the things that you need to make your job easier and have a better relationship the and we'll provide those. For the Kool-Aid to flow. Yeah. So they can drink it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you have to listen, right? Like yeah. like we talked about before, you just have to listen to what people want mm-hmm. and then give them honest feedback on whether it's possible or not. Yeah. So part of our mission here at Restaurant Unstoppable, our mission statement, I'm actually reworking the mission statement okay. right now. So it was to inspire, empower, and transform the industry so we can transform the world. But as you so grac- gracious, graciously... But I don't. Even, I'm, That's it. Know. You got it. Yeah, as you so graciously, <laughs> graciously put, um, you got to start with why. People have to understand why. So our, our mission statement is to change the world through changing, inspiring, empowering the restaurant industry. Okay. Um, on that note of change and transformation, what change or transformation do you think the restaurant industry is in need of? Going back to simplicity. I know I've, I'm like a broken record here, but like I think years ago or maybe like two years ago, it was like, oh, we got to be using this technology. Now it's like, all right, now you have to pick the right technology. And now people are like forgetting about good food, clean restaurants, and great service. Like simplification is always like wherever you get lost, go back to the simplification, right? Go back to those core things. And that's where you start. Like our, our mission statement is fresh, flavorful, fast, and friendly all day and every day. Like super basic, super straightforward because anything we do, we have to make sure those four Fs are being hit because that's what's guiding everything we do. Guys, how is this transforming the industry? I, don't, I think I might have missed the Oh, sorry. My bad. Let me find out. <laughs> so how is it transforming the industry? Well, how does this, yeah. So well, I, the I, answer was we need to simplify. Yes. I'm sorry. That is That was the answer. We need to simplify. But I think there's... There's too many toys out there, yeah. and there's too much noise. So from an industry, we need to make sure we're focused on the things that matter most right. because that's what the restaurant world is. I agree 100% with that yeah. statement. And I, I think that from like a, an individual person, human level, I think that's what we're trying to figure out too. It's like, hey, as we move forward into the future, can we do it with some different values in mind, like some different objectives other than being as profitable as possible? Like is profitability important? Yes. Yeah. It's the blood that makes our businesses go. It's it's you know it's it's the fuel. I get that. Is it the most important thing? Can we put collective security ahead of that? You know, like yep. how do we create a world where people can like do what they love and also feel like they're being fiscally you know responsible at the same time? Yeah. Like, do you have to sacrifice fiscal security to like what you do? Like how do we do that? That's the million dollar question. I mean, I think I think there's solutions though. You know, um, I think it comes back to what you're saying is focus on what matters. That's yeah. kind of where I was going with this. Like, what really matters? Yeah, people. Yes, people matter. Yeah. We exist to serve each other. No, that I agree I mean, about. Yeah, and I think that th- it's pretty attainable. I mean, that's the roots of hospitality where yeah. it started, right? Like, and I'm not, I'm pretty middle to of the truly road. Truly serve, right? Exactly, in middle of the road. I'm not saying we, I'm not recommending we have the government come in and like regulate everything. I don't think that's the answer. Yeah, um, but I think that if you teach people what right is, most people are, are they want to do right. They just need to know what right is. Yeah, uh, I think the lessons in business for a while have been make as much money as possible, and that's you know 
make your your stakeholders happy. Yeah. No, it certainly that, certainly can convolute it a little bit. Right. I think there's a balance, just like everything, exactly. right? There's right. a balance in everything. Yeah. Anything we haven't discussed today? Anything that you were hoping to discuss that would come out of your story? Unique knowledge, experience? No, I mean, I think we covered a, covered a lot today, no? Yeah. I really enjoyed Checked it. Checked a lot then. of boxes. Me yeah, too. You were great. Um, so before we go to the speed round, uh, the mission statement again is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, transform the world. We could get better of flipping that around. Yeah. When are we making the transition? What's that? Of the, the flip of right the mission now, statement. Mission statement is to transform the world or to change the world through I'm still I'm still workshopping. <laughs> I had it locked in and then Anna told me that we should clean it up and she suggested something I can't remember what she said. Sorry, Anna. I love you. <laughs> um, so okay. Um, the mission statement is basically to transform the industry and transform the world. How have you personally transformed? Who are you today versus the man you were oh, was it two thousand sixteen when you went all in? Yeah. I'm a much more patient person. You know, like I've always been a type A personality, but I've always been like an individual sales guy. And I think as you as I transition to now leading a team, like patience and listening and understanding has really transformed me to a different leader. And I think that's what's going to help this company grow moving forward. I love it, man. Uh, One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a speed round. Good deal. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. Restaurant Unstoppable is partnering with CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees. CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, invites you to learn more about their mission and their fall campaign, Serving Up Hope. CORE is an industry-focused nonprofit that provides financial grants to restaurant employees with children who face a life-altering medical crisis or natural disaster. Serving Up Hope is a national fundraising campaign and an opportunity for the restaurant industry to come together to serve those who will serve us daily. There is complete flexibility for when and how you raise money and CORE has ideas to help. Whether you choose to make a flat donation or fundraise through 
in-store promotions, Core provides turnkey resources to make your partnership as simple and successful as possible. It does not stop there. Brands who commit to raising $15,000 or more for Core during this campaign receive logo recognition on the Wall of Hope, a nationally promoted landing page that highlights the companies that have chosen to come together for our industry. Choose to participate and you will help build a culture of caring and demonstrate your support for employees and those that qualify for a grant across the country. More than 70% of core grantees are single mothers and they critically need your help to continue to provide funds. So why wait? Showcase your commitment and leadership to help employees in our industry and sign up for the Serving Up Hope campaign today. Visit coregives.org to learn more. Together, we can serve up hope for restaurant families this fall. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success, a strength? My positivity. What is your biggest weakness? My inability to prioritize sometimes. Uh, Prioritization. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Positivity. Uh And how do you find that? Asking questions, understanding people both from a professional and a, a personal standpoint. Got it. What is your biggest challenge today? Prioritization. <laughs> How are you overcoming <laughs> it? Uh, I am working, working diligently uh, trying to use tools right, yeah. to, to stay focused and create the muscle memory that is needed to, to do it the right way. Got it. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. There's more than one way of looking at something. Mm. So make sure we understand we're not just forcing our opinions, you know, on our teams. We're understanding what they yes. what they see and what they how they interpret what we're telling yes. them. That's been a huge life lesson for me personally, yeah. man. Um, just when even with this podcast of like I started this podcast to get answers. Yeah. And I only got more confused. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be telling people to like this is how you do it. And the only thing I've come to realize is that there is no one way to do yeah. it. Yeah. 100%. There's so many variables. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only the right way for you and only, you know, yep. what that is. Yep. Right. Anyway, I digress. Uh, but yes, I 100% can get behind that one. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So something that's common within the four walls of your bango bulls, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond guest experience or expectation. Sometimes the, the customer who has the worst experience could turn to be your number one customer. How do you do that? By going above and beyond, you know, like let's say one time, someone's delivery goes wrong right the delivery driver didn't make it there by getting in your car and going and dropping that that acai bowl or that salad to that customer you just want them back you just want them back and they're coming back and they're telling all their friends right. so sometimes you could take a bad experience and make it the best customer you've ever had great great stuff uh what is one book that's a must read to make a better person or a restaurant owner the one minute manager biggest lesson from that book Feedback is the breakfast champions. Yes. That's where that's from. <laughs> oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, didn't, I didn't make that connection. I, yeah. I am a, if you have, can't tell, I'm a big fan of simplicity. Mm. You know, that's like another thing from a management standpoint, like super quick read, yes. super simple, but really like gets gets the point across. Yeah. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? <laughs> tell their team they're doing a great job. <laughs> Coming back to it. Mm-hmm. Consistency. I like it. <laughs> um, 
what is one piece of technology that has had a huge impact that you've recently adopted that you're just super excited about? I know we talked a lot about technology. Maybe you want to echo something? Yeah, I want to talk about Opus. Again, I think that what they're doing is revolutionary. Um, They have a new AI tool as well. So we're taking all of our paper content and we're putting it into the AI tool and it's spitting out new courses for us. So like we're not even, you know, now when it comes to creating, it's like, hey, we already have this. We're just putting it What's the, the point system? of even teaching people how to read anymore? <laughs> I know. Really, it's <laughs> wild. It's wild. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I do love that, though. I'm going to check out Opus for sure. Opus, look up. I'm coming after you. They'd be a great sponsor. Sponsor this. You said they it. would be a great sponsor. You heard them. You heard them. <laughs> uh, okay, this is the last question. I think you heard me ask James this one when he was yes. rolling his eyes at me. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Just to be nice, you know, be a good person. One. Work hard. Two. And enjoy every day. Three. Ryan, man, this has been a lot of fun, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who's one person you respect and admire? And as somebody who's a listener, you said you've listened to over 100 episodes of the show, man. Yeah. That yeah. blows my mind. Big that, fan. Like, you don't know how many of these things I've done to actually now have people who I interview who have been listening to the show for years. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing show. That. I appreciate it. So who would I, who would I <laughs> have to get on the show? How can I repay I, ha- I have a friend, Anthony Tartaglia. Uh, he has a hospitality group called Costa Verde Hospitality. He does some really amazing, cool things with his spaces. He's got vision like you've never seen before. Some of his spaces and designs he has, food, cocktails, unbelievable. Definitely somebody a little different than the way we're growing. Someone does something a little different. Um, Here in New York? Yeah, he's here in New York. Nice. I'll be Uh, back soon. Yep, but definitely somebody to check out. His, His spaces are amazing. Say that name for me one more time. Anthony Tartaglia. Anthony Tartaglia, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect? Maybe we're interested in your franchise. Maybe we might be a future partner. Absolutely. Uh, you can get me on LinkedIn anytime. Uh, the business has a, a website, bangables.com. We also have a, a separate franchising uh, side of the business as well. Um, but if you're looking to get me personally, LinkedIn's usually the best way. Cool. Um, and now is when I say thank you so much, my man. I just ask the questions. You make what I do possible. I literally cannot do what I do without people like you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. It's awesome. Thank you. Cheers. Yep. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Ryan Thorman, for coming on and just being an inspiration and proving that you don't need to have years and years of restaurant experience to be behind a successful brand as a leader. Awesome job. Uh, And one of the reasons why he is successful is because he surrounds himself with the right people. And I just want to bring to the surface that we mentioned Kathleen Wood's name a bunch of times today. Uh, She is actually the the woman who put these folks on my radar and uh, she's a powerhouse. She's behind a lot of the successful brands uh, we've had here on the show. So if you are interested in working with Kathleen Wood, do me a favor, email me eric at restaurantstoppable.com and I will make a personal introduction in, in full transparency. She does support the show when I send people her way. So thank you in advance. Also, I, I mentioned the workshop we have scheduled uh, Monday, 
a few days after this episode goes live, we have Christine Miles. So I think I said Kathleen Woods during the interview because her name was coming up so often. So Christine Miles is going to be live in Restaurant Unstoppable Network Monday the 21st, I believe at 3 p.m. We're popping off. And uh, we're going to be talking about how to become a better listener. And this is a skill that you need to work on. And this is a skill you can improve. And she's going to teach us how to improve this skill. So if you're not in the network yet, head over to the show notes, find the link to join the network and get a 30 day trial to the network. Be sure you join us for this conversation RSVP uh, so we can uh, say thank you. And uh, I can't wait to meet you while we're over there. Uh, Other ways you can support the show. You can share this podcast with everyone, you know, aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify. You can subscribe also on YouTube. Please subscribe on YouTube. If you haven't yet, we have these full recordings over on YouTube and we do little shorts as well highlight podcast highlights over at youtube and then just be sure to use our affiliate links whenever possible and support our sponsors can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible thank you to jared parisi over at sumadre podcast for your copywriting and editing thank you to our community manager callan viola and thank you to anatazen at the good kind consulting for your executive support that's it for today until next time peace out